and what an appropriate song, actually, for the uh, message that we're going to spend time in. Psalm 22. I'll give you a clue. This is our series now for the next handful of weeks, all the way up to Easter morning. And uh, each part of this will be given Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Good Friday and Easter morning. So, it's a great uh, a great passage, and we're going to enjoy this, I'm sure. But a very meaningful, powerful chapter. Psalm 22, I've always wanted to spend time preaching through this, and I, I don't recall a time I have. And so, I'm looking forward to this uh, as well. So, we're going to be Psalm 22 today. I'm going to start by reading the psalm to you. There's, um, as you can see, there's 31 verses. But as I go with this, I've got little captions above the paragraphs that will also reflect the message that will come with each area. But I, I like this section here as we start in Psalm 22, the first couple of verses, with the phrase, groans too deep for words. It says, for the choir director upon Igelith, Hashahar. You may have the tune of the dawn of the doe or something of that nature. A psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet let's look at God's track record here. God's character and actions on behalf of our fathers. Verse 3. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Then we have the opinions of God and man. But I am a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with their lips. They wag their heads saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you yourself are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. And have been, my, and you have been my God from my mother's womb. Yeah, here's man's trouble and travail. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaw, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now is specific call for help. But you, O Lord, be not far off, O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. 
deliver my soul from the sword, my life, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. And then joy comes in the morning. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. For you, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes a praise, my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Prosperity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Heavenly Father, this uh, excellent psalm is before us and we seek to know it because it speaks of you. There are things in this psalm that reflect the anguish of a desperate soul. And yet, we also find the answer from a faithful God. So help us today as we begin this study to see your hand at work as we see the anguish and the joys of a soul and what you do. And we come to the same conclusion, I pray, as this psalm, that our Lord is to be praised. Impress that upon us today, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. No doubt you noticed as I went through there, there were several references to the crucifixion of Christ. We've saw in verse number one that phrase, he shouts from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We saw in verse number seven, this, this picture, actually what was going on there below the cross. All who see me sneer at me, they separate with their lip, they wag their heads, saying, Commit yourselves to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him sorry, rescue Him, because He delights in Him. How often they said, Well, if you're the Lord, come down from the cross. They mocked Him there. They opened their mouths, verse 13, at me, as a ravening and a roaring lion. And I am poured out like water, and all my Bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. And you lay me in the dust of death. What a picture that is. But it goes on to say, For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers encompass me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. What a picture, huh? 
very sobering psalm when we see these things as they're fulfilled in our Savior. Now, Romans 8 tells us that we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who can express the heart's cry of anguish even when there are no words that can be said. We do not even have to say the words. For It says in Romans 8.26, in that same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't know how many times, and maybe you've been here too, when you go before the Lord to pray and you say, Lord, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to say. And I'm not even sure sometimes if I'm saying it right as the things I need to ask for. He says in these words, I think they're rather rich, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But that's not a hindrance. For we have a helper. And we need our helper today. When we start verse 1 and 2 here, there's groaning in this phrase. Groaning that, that are really too deep for words. And, and David expresses that in this psalm. We're going to look at three perspectives today as we look at these passages, but especially verse 1 and 2. We're going to see how David wrote these words and see it from his perspective. And of course we're going to look at Jesus' perspective because they are applied to him. And then we're actually going to make it personal and look at our perspective in light of these first two words. But let's go to David first. You can tell by David's very first words, here's a man in trouble. He's in trouble. These words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from the deliverance, from my deliverance, are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, and you do not answer. And, oh my God, I cry by night, but I have no rest. You have that caption as the beginning of this psalm. He says it's for the choir director. He says it's upon the Ajelith Hashahar. Whatever that is, we have no clue, to tell the truth. There are translations, some of you have it, it's, it's to the tune of the dough of the morning. We don't know what that is. Maybe Steve does. He can help us with this song, maybe. But uh, we, we, we don't know. It's a very obscure phrase, actually. Uh, there are most who believe that the interpretation should, should be along the lines of the dough of the morning. But as to what that's supposed to mean... Was it the tune that this psalm was set to? I, I think if that was the case, it had to have been a minor key. Well, at least the first half certainly would. Some say, no, it wasn't the tune. It was some sort of a musical instrument. And I don't even know what that would be. But it was to be played with such a, a musical instrument as whatever, Ajelith Shahar Shah, or however, I'm going to mess it up. Whatever that might be. And some people say, no, no, no. It's probably best to, to think of it as the express uh, of a subject that 
he's talking about a, a doe, deer, uh, uh, pursued by hunters in the early morning and, and the dawn of the day. And, and so they think it's the picture of a deer on the run. Or another suggests that, well, the deer is meek and innocent and, and is suffering. And it looks for relief. And maybe that's all true. I, I really don't know how it all comes together, but a similar psalm is written in the phrase in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. So, whatever the, the meaning of that little phrase would be, the circumstances that led David to cry out like this, as the very first thought on his mind, had to have been so difficult, so so incredibly hard. What would they be? Well, we have the record of David's life from beginning to end. We we have all the events in his life that are recorded so clearly for us. We would say, well, at what time was David at such a point? You know, could almost turn that around and say, what time wasn't David at such a point? Uh, for we know that he was on the run for a good ten years, I believe it was, with his father-in-law chasing him. Now, that's a very difficult situation. I mean, that, that would really mess up family reunions and stuff. Uh, his father-in-law wanted to kill him, remember? He threw spears at him while he was playing his harp. He had threatened to kill his wife several times over. He was on the run. And his father-in-law, King Saul, had an army at his assistance, chasing David throughout the wilderness. Now, there was another event in David's life that was, was exceedingly difficult as well. He was much older. And his son Absalom uh, revolted. David's close friends, his advisors, the nation... His army, they all seem to have forsaken him at that time. And we have record of him going barefoot out of the city of Jerusalem with his head covered. Escaping from his own son. Now, a couple of things point out from the uh, Bible knowledge commentary about this psalm. That makes me think that we might be looking at the earlier episode when Saul was chasing him. Because this psalm, as the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, it's a psalm of execution. It's a psalm of execution. The enemy wanted David dead. And there are no pleas throughout the psalm for forgiveness. There's no mention of sinfulness. There is no curse on the enemy. It's primarily an account of a righteous man who is being put to death by a wicked man or wicked men. Now, when David left Jerusalem with Absalom chasing him, David felt that that was his fault. In some of the Psalms that he writes more in direct to that line, he confesses his guilt. He considers that part of what he deserved as he left the city. So that's why I tend to think it was the earlier mention here. And by the way, when David did leave the city of Jerusalem in the revolt of Absalom, David did not go alone. 
he had a small band of soldiers with him. He had several significant friends that did go along with him. Yet, go back to the first episode. Imagine the day when, when David knew that his life was forfeit as far as Saul was concerned. David did not show up for a meal. Their seat was empty, and, and Jonathan was using that as a test. It was already established between those two that they wanted to see how angry Saul was, if, if Saul was wanting to put David to death. And so David did not show up for the meal on purpose. Waited several days, was not there. And eventually the conversation got around to the fact that David wasn't there. And Saul took out his wrath on Jonathan and threw things at him. Threatened his life. And Jonathan knew that if David was there, he would have been put to death. David had arranged for them to have this meeting between Jonathan and David. There was out on the archer's field. You remember the story? There was a sign that was to be given as to how he shot the arrow and, and uh, what he told the, the young lad to do when he went to collect the arrows. That was all a sign between them as to whether or not David was welcomed back at the palace or not. The message that Jonathan had to share was that his father wanted to kill him and it wasn't safe to come home. So he followed through with it. And these are the words. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side, fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times, and they kissed each other, and they wept together. But David wept the more. He had to turn from there and walk away into the wilderness. You can almost hear it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he walks out into that wilderness and leaves behind those he loves. What a picture that is. The word forsake means to abandon, to leave. There's an echo of it later in, in the Old Testament. The anguish of the tribe of Judah at the time when the, the Babylonians, the enemies, have come in and surrounded the city, the city falls to the Babylonians. There, there's a witness of, of the loss of the armies. There's uh, the loss of fathers and husbands, of children. There's rubble and there's smoke and there's pain and there's darkness. And in Isaiah 49, the prophet records what Jerusalem will cry out in that day. It says in verse 14, But Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Now in Judah's day, they didn't ask why. They didn't ask why, because they knew the answer. You see, they first chose to abandon God. And because they had abandoned God, now God had abandoned her. But see, David's lament has a different, sharper pain to it. He adds that word, why, doesn't he? Why? Now, understand this why. Even in this phrase, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? That why 
is not directed to his need to know God. He's not trying to figure out who God is or the character of God or his relationship with God. He readily acknowledges it. My God. My God. He knows who he is. He, he says it this way. I've been true to you. I, I've had this relationship with you. I've walked in your ways. I have sung your songs. I have served you from my youth up. But this, he says, my God, this is your forsaking me, abandoning me. And then he says this picture. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Here is my deliverance. Here I am, groaning. Far. Far. The word groaning is interesting. You look that up and you you discover the Hebrew word for this. It's a word for roaring like a lion. It's not that sound you make when you wake up in the morning. I'm learning it very well. I get up and go, You know that feeling? And then you realize you have to try to sit up. Like oh, that, those, I was working all day with my son, and my fingers hardly moved today. We're tearing down a tin shed, a huge thing, and, and boy, I'm sore. This is a groan, but this is a roar. Here he is, way over there, trying to get the father's attention. He's yelling. The roar of a lion's 114 death spells. If you want to compare that to anything, you'd have it like this. It's louder than a jackhammer. It is louder than a power tool, a lawnmower, a dog kennel, or a symphony orchestra. It can be heard for five miles. And he's over here shouting, My God! And he doesn't hear him! He doesn't hear it! He's abandoned me. That's what's going through his mind. I cry by day and you do not answer. I cry by night and I have no rest. You say, well, but he just called him my God. How how does that mesh? Have you ever wondered? How does it mesh that one who trusts the Lord is crying out like this before the Lord? One writer said this, that faith and despair are wrestling In the psalmist's mind. Faith can still claim God as my God. And does not cease its prayers. But despair thinks itself forsaken. And it introduces the word why. This is not the why. Is my tire flat? Why is my battery down? Why did that bill have to come today? That's not this why. This why is much more pronounced. It's the deepest of whys. David knows the character of his God. He's going to show you that in this psalm. He knows that God has rescued him before. He's had that sweet fellowship with God. And now it appears that God is gone. And David is alone. And his life is nearly extinguished. And there is no help. This is the why... That comes 
with something never experienced before. That's this why. It comes at something never experienced before. Now that's David's cry. We're going to get more of David's life and David's psalm as we go through this. But for now, let's leave David and let's go to a cross. Go to Mark chapter 15 with me. Mark chapter 15, verse 33 and verse 34. It says here, when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a trilogy of psalms. I believe. Psalm 22. Here we have the Savior who is a sufferer. Psalm 23. You know that one. Savior who is a shepherd. Psalm 24. Our Savior is a sovereign. What a wonderful combination these three make. I think of them a trilogy of the Savior. A sufferer, a shepherd, and a sovereign. As we had a touch of this in our Sunday school classes this morning, there are numerous references to Psalm 22 in the New Testament. Fifteen of them, more or less stating it or alluding to it. Speaking of this passage, it's quoted so often in the reference to our Savior who suffered. Now David used a poetic expression to portray a very immense suffering. But these words were literally true in the life of Christ on that cross. There is no mention of sin. There is no curse on the enemy. It is the account of a righteous man who is being put to death by wicked men. I know trying to fathom his suffering is far beyond what we can do. I know that. He knew the character of his father. He had that sweet and perfect fellowship with his father all the way into eternity past. Can we even fathom that? These two perfect together continuously. And now, his father abandoned him, forsook him, and he's alone. This is the first time ever. This is the why that comes at something never experienced before. Why? We simply say, well, because the father couldn't look upon sin. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, he quotes it, where he says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness. Peter then tells us, as I read here this morning, Peter tells us that on this cross, he himself took 
our sins on His body. Second Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Here's a literal rendering of this in the Greek. He made Him who knew no sin sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's a word we use in theological discussions. We use the word imputation. Imputation. Where God treated Christ as if He were the sinner. Though He was not. And had Him die as a substitute to pay the penalty for the sins of those who believe in Him. He took our sins. He took our sins. And the songs that we sing that correspond to that, one goes, How deep the Father's love for us! How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son and make a wretch His treasure! How great the pain of searing loss! The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen ones brings many sons to glory. That was my sin upon His shoulder. Your sins upon his shoulder. Never before had he been forsaken by God. Never again will it happen. But for that one time, he took our sin. He was forsaken by his Father. What a scene that is. What a picture that is. We have so much more to learn of our Savior as we go through this, but let's ask a perspective here concerning ourselves. I might say it is unlikely that you have shouted these words out in the same context as David. More than likely you haven't been, but who knows? I don't know all of you and all that you've been through. But you probably haven't been to that point where somebody was about to extinguish your life and you were totally innocent and, and uh, you cried out as if you were completely abandoned by God. It's kind of hard to stand in those sandals, aren't it? At least for me, I've never been there. I've never felt a threat in that nature. I've never, I can't even say I've ever been at a time where I needed help so desperately I saw none and had no glimpse of hope, not even a flicker. I don't think I've ever thought this through from a personal standpoint, that God has abandoned me. I don't, I don't recall ever thinking that. Yet, sometimes we do have a rather large gulf between us and our God. Sometimes our fellowship is broken, and it might feel like this might feel like this. You feel like your cries go unheard. You, you, you sense that your sin has, has created this huge chasm between you and your God. I want to give you some facts. God has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. 
Oh, I know sometimes we move farther away from Him, but He does not abandon His children. He disciplines His children. And He disciplines His children because He loves them, right? So Scripture says, He does not abandon His children. He does not. And matter of fact, Jesus doesn't abandon you either. He made the promise where He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there's one who knew what it meant to be forsaken. He says, I will not do that to you. And then you add the Holy Spirit on top of that. Now you've got all three members of the Trinity chiming in, and Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Forever. So at what time are you ever abandoned by God? The Father going to leave you? No. The Son going to leave you? No. The Spirit going to leave you? No. Isn't that good to know? That is great to know. That is great to know. Because when we are in those times where our fellowship is broken, it feels like He's gone. You know, the burden is such. We said, Lord, where'd you go? You didn't go anywhere. Well, we cry out sometimes that way. So I don't know to what degree we might understand what David said, but I do know this. We will never experience what Jesus said when the Father forsook him. Because we're never going to die like that on behalf of others' sin and the saving of their souls. That's not our place anyway. But we will never be in those situations. See, Jesus willingly became forsaken. Understand that. He went to the cross willingly. And he knew beforehand what would come of it. Matter of fact, He is the one that knew this psalm. How do I know that? Because it's God's word. And who is he? He is God. Could you imagine the day he had David write these words? David, write these. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And perhaps the son reflected into the future and said, those are my words. I'm going to say someday. He knew where he was going. He knew the cross that was coming his way. He knew that moment would come when the Father would turn away. He knew it would be the torture of his soul. But he did that. He did that so that you and I will never need to know what it is to be without God. He did that for us. So simply written, the song says, Jesus to Calvary did go. His love for mankind to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. There's so much to learn in this song. I'm touched by it just by going through it. Just by listening to the words and realizing, for me, he died. For me, he died. 
the anguish of that cross, I, I can easily take the work of Christ, and especially the death of Christ, and turn it into an academic exercise. I've been trained to do that. I think through that, I, I work through it, I see words, and, and yet, as my brain might seek to understand, it's my heart that needs to respond. My heart needs to respond to this love, to this death. And like the psalmist, you reach a place where you say, I don't know the words anymore to express what's on my heart. That's where we need our spirit to our Holy Spirit to come and say things that are too deep for words. As we spend a few moments in prayer, let's talk to the one who has died for us. It's wonderful that we can talk to him because he lives, right? Let's talk to him. Personally, from your own heart, talk to him about what he has done. Heavenly Father, with all of us here in this room, we, we have come here to read from your word and to seek to understand it and look for something to apply that we might take with us as we go from here throughout this week. And yet we have had before us a passage that's so expressive, so expressive of a Savior's suffering and anguish. And yet we are so mindful that it was for us that he did this. And he did it so lovingly and so willingly. And Lord, sometimes our perspective is all wrong. But when we set ourselves as the center of it all, we, we tend to think that uh, your grace is deserved. Your mercy is expected. Your love is taken for granted. And yet, Lord, that's not at all the picture of this psalm. For your mercy is undeserved, but it's given. Your grace, how beautiful it is in light of our sinfulness. And your love, Lord, may we never take it for granted. When we reflect on these words and realize they were, sh- they were shouted out from a Savior, For us. Impress it upon our hearts, Lord. Maybe there's somebody among us today who really did not know, did not understand that Jesus died for them. And here this morning they've heard it again. Jesus died for them. He suffered for them. Took their sins upon his own body so that we might have life and forgiveness and mercy and grace and All that comes from the hands of God. If there's one among us today, Lord, that you're calling, you're pulling, please save them. Show them they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, even as they spend this time before you. For those of us who know you, Lord, we're so thankful. So thankful that you have done this for us. We wanted to go beyond the academics, beyond the intellect, and touch the very heart, very center of our soul. We're going to spend several weeks in this passage, Lord. Through them, through these words, change us, we pray.
do your great work in our midst. Draw us to yourself and show us again the great love of our Father and the sacrifice of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.